Hello, this is Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Welcome back after break. Today I'm speaking with Professor Victor Flatt. once again welcome back we hope you had a good vacation we have such an interesting episode for you today in this episode professor victor flat the dwight alds chair of law at the university of houston law center discusses model rule of professional responsibility 1.6b in the context of environmental law i caught up with professor flat last semester when he visited us at the Haub school of law as the 2019 Haub school of visiting scholar this is like a really interesting discussion It's a bit different from what we're used to because while it discusses Rule 1.6b, he discusses it as a vehicle for moving the environment to a healthier space. Professor Flatt's novel theory is compelling and super interesting. Speaking of compelling and super interesting, Lord Effect is going to start taking a bit of a detour. In addition to sharing episodes about topics typically tested in law school, we're looking for recommendations for other topics of interest to law students. We're going off book, so to speak. And I welcome students, professors, and lawyers who are interested in joining me to join me for a five to 10 minute chat about any issue of law that they're interested in. You can reach me at lawdefact.gmail.com for your suggestions. And you can help me as always by liking us on social media and subscribing to us on any platform on which you listen to us. And finally, if you're listening to us, chances are you are planning to take the bar exam. I'm offering you $100 off the Kaplan Bar Prep program. Go to www.captest.com and click on bar. Enter code Leslie100 at checkout and you'll receive $100 off. Okay, here's my discussion with Professor Victor Flatt. All right, well, thank you for joining us. You know, it's, it's exciting for me to get to speak to an environmental law professor. You're actually the first person I'm speaking to in the context of environmental law. I've speaking, spoken to so many of our environmental law professors, but we've talked about property and we've talked about that type of thing. Um, and you are here to talk about an environmental law issue, so to speak, and one you write about, which is about to be published in Utah Law Review. Um, but the hook of all this is professional responsibility. So we're right. going to marry professional responsibility and environmental law, and we're going to start with the idea that Model Rule 1.6b should be used by attorneys to report things that can damage the environment, correct? All right, you 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 took one. You put one word in my mouth. Okay. Should okay. Um, and and I I'm not going to say yes or no on should only because I'm not an expert, as it were, on these ethics rules. Okay. But every attorney should be familiar with the ethics rules. Right. And I got interested in this and started investigating this and have been checking with ethics experts and other attorneys. And I think what's um, unusual about this is that we we. We think of ethics rules, and we know that there are um, uh, exceptions to um, attorney-client confidentiality to protect human health and life, right? Right. And yet we don't, and we know that we have environmental laws to stop human health and life from being harmed, or the environment from being harmed, and yet we rarely marry those two things together. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that was kind of the impetus for this. So uh, I guess I would say that um, it, it, things that can happen to the environment, right? Emissions or changes in climate can really harm people. And sometimes we forget that. Right. And once we know that, 
it implicates ethical responsibilities. And you know, it's interesting, and, and, and let's get back to the law in just a second, but it brings up an article that's in the New York Times, I think, I think it's today, I read online, right. so who knows, um, about how uh, since lawmakers are not regulating gun control, right. individuals are doing it with their pocketbook. We're not going to shop at Walmart unless they stop selling this kind of thing. And so it seems to me, and we'll get to what you're proposing right. in a moment, that this is another way that lawyers can take it upon themselves outside of legislation to make a change in the world, Absolutely. a real change. Absolutely. So, which is, it, it's wonderful. Um, so let's go to the very beginning. Let's talk first about Model Rule 1.6b, because that's the vehicle that you use to get into this argument of how we're going to help save the environment. So what is Model Rule 1.6b? Um, so the uh, federal rules, Model Rules of Professional Responsibility, which summarize and make recommendations to states, um, has uh, Rule 1.6b. Every state has some equivalent to that. And it says that normally, though everything should be uh, confidential between the attorney and client for many important reasons, that if in fact an a client is going to take an action mm -hmm. that could cause death or substantial bodily harm, mm -hmm. then the attorney uh, either can then disclose that, in other words, that requirement of confidentiality is gone, or in many states, must disclose that. And the idea is, yes, we want to protect attorney-client confidentiality because you can't represent a client, but that human life is the most important thing. Right. 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 And so if, if you're seeing a client's action that's going to actually you know, cause right. harm or, or kill someone, uh -huh. you need to report that or you, ha or you or you can report that because it's so important. So if I, if you're my attorney and I right. come into you and I say, I hate my husband, I'm going to kill him the next time I see him, that under model rule 1.6b, you can violate attorney-client privilege and report to the authorities that I'm going to kill absolutely. my husband. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got it. And, and the other thing that you point out is this idea of must- because I did say should when I did right, the introduction, right. and you're right. We must report our clients if they're going to harm someone. I'm just curious. You may not know the answer. What's like? What if I'm going to just break his leg? <laughs> well, the rule refers to substantial bodily harm. Okay. And if we take the and I do teach torts, and okay. if we take the definition from there, you may recall it's it's something that is uh, that, that's injurious or could cause hospitalization. Uh, broken bones, you know, stabbings, that sort of thing. Um, although it can vary depending on the state you're in. Um, I, I, but I, I actually do think, though, if you want to look at the exception, this 1.6 rule, it, it should be seen as as being balanced against the attorney-client confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you don't really think the person's going to harm somebody, you're probably not supposed to brief confidentiality. Right. Like, oh, right. he's so bad, I could just kill him. Right, right, right. Um, on the other hand, if, if you, you know, as the threat escalates or the reality or the possibility or the probability, the more incumbent upon the attorney it is to try to take steps to prevent that harm. Understood. And so now it looks like the here is substantial bodily harm because if we want to say substantial bodily harm are there things that a client could do to the environment that could cause substantial bodily harm is that the hook that you used in yeah, your article yeah okay. absolutely uh -huh. well, well actually not just substantial bodily harm but death I mean death, honestly right, yes. honestly I think yes. we, we you know one of the reasons I, I I've been thinking about this and one of the things I think all attorneys should keep in mind is um, even though we're all responsible for our energy system and the greenhouse gas emissions in a certain way, 
they do. It does kill people. Right. Climate change has already killed people. Mm-hmm. It will continue to kill people, mostly in other countries, poorer countries. Um, it does it through drought, wildfires, heat deaths, um, not to mention possible so, natural disasters. All right. So Hurricane Dorian happened yes. last week. Hundreds of people are missing. Yeah. Would you say that they were that that death was caused by climate change? I personally haven't done the attribution science okay. between Dorian. And, uh, and climate change okay. and, and warming. However, from things I've seen before about that attribution science and, and the uh, facts we know about Dorian, um, it's sort of unprecedented nature, the heat it sucked up, how far north it went, its strength. It wouldn't surprise me if those things are related. All right, so then- But yes, we can. We could definitely say that the heat wave in Europe this summer, which the heat killed, wave in Europe, yes. killed 1,500 people in France, was definitely caused by, or or accelerated by climate change, absolutely. So then, it seems to me that under your theory, you would have to have some kind of mechanism to prove the nexus between causation, talking towards, Mm -hmm. we're going to hit every course, um, the causation between the harm caused Mm -hmm. by the environment and the client's actions. actions. Right. and, and that's true. Um, and yet, of course, as you know, from torts, we never ask uh, for 100% uh, exact with causation. I think the standard in torts is more likely than not, Correct. right, for each yep. element. Yep. So is it 50% likely or, or not or that sort of thing? And what I can say is uh, there are two sort of interesting aspects with greenhouse gas emissions. Um, one, the attribution of um, the harms to people um, that are higher than the 95% confidence level, so way over 50%, have thousands, hundreds of thousands of deaths per year. And those are the very direct things, not storms, but just heat waves and fires and you know droughts and water and all of those things. So we, we, we certainly know it's killing some people uh, uh, to a 95% probability. And, and the other thing about greenhouse gas emissions, of course, is that they're cumulative. Right. Meaning, and again, going back to torts. May I say right? I don't know. Uh, no, I'm going back now. to torts, right? <laughs> yes. It's it's like we have multiple defendants, right? I, I, if you, let, let's say you know uh, uh, all five of us, um, you know, put a put a little cyanide in your water, and right. and it was enough to poison you. Well, you know, if I had just put the cyanide in, it might not have poisoned you, but the fact that the others did, we did a joint right. arm. Right. Right. So we're all responsible. Right. And and the way greenhouse gas emissions and climate change work, it's almost a mathematical balance, right? right. You put X amount of CO2 into the air or X amount of greenhouse gases into the air and you get that X amount more of harm. Okay. And the, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, recognized this actually in the standing context in the famous Massachusetts versus EPA case. Mm -hmm. There, um, the government said, we don't need to regulate greenhouse gases from cars because it's only 2% of what's caused in the whole world. That's not enough to get redressability for standing. And the court said, well, every bit matters. You know, okay, right. so 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 if if you if we took your argument, we would never deal with climate change because there's no one source that's over like five uh-huh, percent uh-huh. or something like that, right? So right. the idea is that this all matters, and, right. and and there are parts, you know, different different uh, sources, but each of them play a part. So getting back to kind of the academic view of this mm-hmm. argument, which is a really interesting and compelling argument, the idea is that. If the 
and if the attorney can if the attorney decides that the client is doing something to harm the environment that's likely to cause death or, or substantial, substantial bodily harm, right? right? Mm-hmm. So then my next argument is, and this argument actually might goes to um, the model rules too, mm-hmm. is what's the test for the attorney? In other words, right. I think everything can cause climate change. Correct. There are people out there that think nothing causes climate change. Right, right. Um, every state is slightly different, but it's pretty similar. It's a reasonable belief. Okay. And, and reasonable, again... Objective like, or subjective? Obje- objective. Okay. Reasonable objective belief. Okay. And so that's a very important distinction. Okay. So for instance, then, it, it, it doesn't really matter if I personally think greenhouse gas emissions cause climate change or not. The fact that 99% of all scientific journals make that argument and specifically can assign attribution does matter. Okay. So right. that, that's, that's, a, that's a great standard. Yeah, right? it is. It may, it, that way you're not you know, having to always be guessing. Right. Um, and putting this on, I'm like bombarding you with questions because no, it's so great. interesting. But putting um, putting the onus on the attorney, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, what do you feel about that? Well, I feel sorry for attorneys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still I've been, study. I've, I've been one in practice and I, and I, and I, lo- but I, but I'm also very, very happy that we are here because we, we accept a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, by by uh, you know learning, graduating, taking the bar, working with clients, we accept a role that we are leaders in society in a way, and we are the gatekeepers of law, and law is what protects our society. Right. And so, you know, it se- may seem unfair in a way. Why should the attorney be responsible? Mm-hmm. But that's because we're we're the ones that understand law. Okay. And so. Um, lots of things fall on us. I mean, we're asked not, you know, if you're a law student, you may just think it's like writing a memo, but you're really asked by a client to deal with their issues. Right. You're almost a problem solver. It's just that the law is your tool to try and solve that problem. Okay. Right? And so, um, and yet, you're, you're not just a problem solver for the client. Yes, in our, in the way we work, our system of, of uh, ethics rules, you're, you primarily use your uh, skills for the client and yet every ethical rule continues to recognize this incredible responsibility to the rest of society right. thus coming back to the the fact that if your client is going to do something or could do something that causes death or substantial bodily harm you need to take you know your your role and responsibility goes beyond you just throwing up your hands and saying I'm done mm-hmm. and you know it's interesting, while you're saying this, I'm thinking about our students. So I teach at Pace Law School. Right. We have one of the best environmental law programs. Absolutely. And as a result, may we get many students coming here for yeah. to, to practice environmental right. law. And I see a lot of them get disillusioned because they realize that in some ways, practicing environmental law is a lot of regulatory work. Right, right. You're not really hugging the trees. You're kind of protecting the trees. Right. But your theory is one that allows an environmental lawyer not just to do the regulatory nitty-gritty, but to really make a change through the law. That's exactly right. Um, And and through the practice of law. Right, through the practice of law. And and, and, in in some ways you can think about that would apply to people that are interested in, in, you know, what would be, they would consider moral issues on many things, domestic violence, immigration, various other things. So let's look at your example. When I have students that, you know, at the University of Houston, we have a very strong environment, energy, and climate program as well. Um, A lot of students are like, well, I don't want to work for the bad guy. (laughs) And the first thing I say to them is this. um, 
almost everybody that you would work with in a regulatory context needs help, mm-hmm. right? There are all these laws. They're very complicated. To the extent you're confused in my environmental law class, that's more money for you in the future because <laughs> these laws are difficult to understand. And so just to say I don't want to represent, let's say, an energy company, for instance, in the first place, you might say, well, you know what? They're supposed to follow the law and they need help. Right. If you help them follow the law, then you're actually doing good. Uh-huh. And then secondarily, as an attorney, right, you have the good of society at heart. Right. And, if, and if what your clients start to do, if we start recognizing that this is becoming you know, more and more dangerous or other things, then you start to think, I may need, I may need to move away from that. And that, you know, that, that's not boring. Yeah. That's recognizing where our society should go, just like attorneys that perhaps rep, you know, represented the tobacco industry 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago started to realize, you know, this may not be, there's so much danger here, maybe we didn't even know how much we're learning, and, and, uh, and I need to think about what kind of work I'm doing. Right. Right. No, that's interesting. And, and, something and, that, and to the extent more attorneys do that, yeah. that message gets through to clients, right? If you have your attorney telling you, you know what, I, I'm not saying you're a quote-unquote bad person. I'm not even saying that what you're proposing, it may not even be illegal yet, but it looks like it might be endangering people and you know I have a duty to, re- to report that if that's the case and I think we really need to think through that um, if you fail to tell them that you're not you know you're you're also committing malpractice and if they hear that they hear that from you and their other attorneys and they're like wow okay I'm learning something right this mm-hmm. this may need to change you know that that's just that's so interesting on so many levels I mean one of the things that students often grapple with when, after they graduate, say right. lawyers, is that they're not necessarily in an area of law that they like. And so you always have to wrap your head around, how am I doing good for the world right, if this right, isn't what I want right. to be doing? And what you're doing, to your point, is if you're representing you know, Exxon, you can educate Exxon. Absolutely. And through what your article is saying is that you have the power, if we adopt your proposal right. in your article, your article is calling... Called Disclosing the Danger, State Attorney Ethic Rules Meet Climate Change. It's about to be published in Utah Law Review. You have the force of the ABA saying you got to do this. Yes. Which will push it even further. Yeah, and we actually, well, sort of this is kind of already happening. I think I've sort of stepped into a ball that's already been rolling. Okay. It's less that I'm saying, oh, we should do this, is saying, I think this is starting to happen. And hey, law students, attorneys, you need to start thinking about this, right? right? This right. is part of your, let's let's remember our big responsibilities. Let's think about this big picture and what's happening. So just a month ago, the ABA said, uh, passed a resolution saying all attorneys should do their best to stop uh, climate change, mm-hmm. to end climate change. The American no. Bar Association did? The American Bar Association okay, did. It's, a, it's, not, it's not public yet. Okay. Um, oh, well, did hear first? Well, no, no, you didn't hear it here first. I, I shouldn't say it's not public. It's, well, it's, not, it's not been officially printed. Okay, got it. It is got public. It, you, you can find okay. it on blogs and other things. So. Um, but what I think is interesting about that is, in some ways, it's no different from them taking a stand on, you know, racism is bad, right? right. Or um, we as they've done in the past, or they in the past have supported, you know, equal rights uh, based on based on sexual orientation right. or marriage right. rights or all kinds of things. They've been doing this for a while. That's what they do. Right. They think, what's our role in society? They they look for consensus. Not everybody may agree. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what they are tackling, it's about the big picture. So let's go back to that attorney representing, let's say, ExxonMobil. Okay? Uh-huh. If you 
if the ABA says to you, you need to do your best to stop climate change, that could be, hey, ExxonMobil, let's move away from so much fossil fuel. Or it could be ExxonMobil, if you're going to produce fossil fuel, you need to figure a way to get it out of the air. Right. Or to sequester it. Right. Or to, you know, it's not, it's not saying one business or another, or, or not even, you know, it's not even saying energy's bad because we use energy. Um, we've got the lights on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's saying that uh, this ultimate thing that's happening because of our system needs to be addressed. Right. So however we're going to do that, right. we need to do it. And so Exxon, you know, you need to recognize this. You need to report that to your shareholders. You need to think about other ways to do better and all these kinds of things. It's so interesting. I, 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 it, you're reinforcing the idea of synergy between different disciplines. Yes. And you're also reinforcing to students this idea of the power of a law degree. There is nothing more powerful yeah, I think that's than true. a law degree. I think that's true. I think that's true. You, you see it because it's the language. It is the language of power. Right. It's um, I, I hate. It shouldn't be a secret language in a way. Mm-hmm. Everybody should understand it. But honestly, it's a lot to learn. Right. And it takes a lot of training. And once you've gone through that training, you you know, you know how to push the levers. Right. Of things. Right. Of society. You have the keys to the kingdom, and you have a responsibility to use that wisely. Right, and, and, and it is those keys to the kingdom. And so just coming back to where we started, this idea that we took a rule mm-hmm. that comes from a class, you know, we'll talk law school because this is mostly right. a podcast yeah. for law students, but it comes from professional responsibility. Right. And one of the things, and my listeners will know that I've said this before, is that you can't do flashcard learning, which is just learning one rule for one right, class. Right. And this is an example for when you get onto practice is that if you think beyond... You know, okay, now I have a tort issue, right. but if you think beyond like the four corners of tort law, like maybe this implicates contract law, or maybe this Absolutely. implicates professional responsibility, Absolutely. or maybe even criminal law, then you can make a better legal argument. Absolutely. So I would encourage listeners, in addition to just kind of learning what we're talking about today, but reading some of these law review articles, because what we do as professors right. is we push the boundaries. Absolutely. And to be a good attorney and make lots of money, too, right. you have to push the boundaries. Absolutely. That's why you come to law school. Right. To, so, so you know, this is this is I, I, my example. I don't know why I come to this. I think of Albert Einstein teaching physics at Princeton mm-hmm. in the 1940s. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't work with students that much, but he was pushing the boundaries of knowledge. And if you wanted to know those boundaries of knowledge, you needed to be around somebody who was writing and thinking and had the time to do that. Right. You can read all sorts of law books, but unless you're coming in and being educated by faculty who are thinking about the boundaries and how these things are related, you're not going to be able to learn this. And it may seem like law practice. I've been in practice. You've probably been in practice. Sometimes it seems sort of routine. You may do several of the same things. But what clients really need from you is that creative thinking. Right. Right. That's what they're they're asking you again to problem solve. And going back to your, your comment about how these things are related, you teach a first-year class. I teach a first-year mm-hmm. class. I'm always fascinated. I, I want students to know you know, when we talk about torts, it's related to contracts. Right. It's related to property. Right. Right. That's why you're learning all three of these things together. So try to think about right. how the all these things yeah. work together. That's how you get into that creative thinking. Wonderful. Well, that kind of leads me to another question I have for you. Okay. If you had to give students one piece of advice to help them in, succeed in law school, what would that piece of advice be? It would be to... Trust that you will have the skills 
to do something new and do it right. I like that. I like that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, thank you. Anything else that you would add to this? No. Uh, thank you for the this opportunity. This is really fun. It thank you so fun. much. Thank you thank so you. much. So that's my discussion with Professor Victor Flatt. It may be the end of our discussion, but it's the beginning of a new semester. And I want to share something with you. In my mind, law school exams are a game. And the key to doing well in the game is understanding the strategy. If you're coming back after your first semester and you're not happy with your grades, figure out the strategy. You'll get it by second semester. Everyone gets it by third semester. If you are happy with your grades, a word to the wise. Those who didn't do well first semester are going to do much better second semester. So if you want to keep your grades up, you want to also understand what you did well. I recommend you see your academic support professional if you aren't happy with your grades, but fear not. It's not a reflection of your intellect. It's just a reflection of how well you understand what the law professors are looking for in the analysis. And we've got lots of podcasts about that. So that's my discussion for today. Once again, I want to remind you, if you're thinking about taking the bar exam, if you go to www.captest.com and type in code LESLIE100, you'll get $100 off their bar review program. That's it for today. Have a great day. We'll see you next week on Law of Fact.